September 8th, and you are listening to In the Wheelhouse. ITW is a spontaneous discussion between two old friends on the Chicago Cubs, baseball, and motion picture-related topics. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on ITW, we'll discuss the petulant Justin Verlander and his Hall of Fame chances after he hurls his third career no-hitter. We'll also take a look at this season's wacky stats, and just as the Cubs get healthy, they lose more players to injury. We'll have all that and a discussion on the legendary film, Casablanca. Tom, how are you doing? I'm right on the edge. I don't know what comes next. <laughs> did you uh, watch the Bears home opener or yes, season Yes, I opener? did. Yes, I did. Uh, you, are you talking about the Puntathon? The Puntathon. My God. Tom, where, where is the innovation that we were promised? Where is the creativity? That we were that that Nagy is supposed to bring. I don't understand how they could be so inadequate on offense after having so long to prepare. I was really frustrated. I was watching it here at home. You know, the kids had gone to bed. I was just sitting here, and, and the more I watched, sort of the more frustrated I became. You know, you're thinking, will they come back? And you and you're watching, and you're like, there's no way they're going to come back. There's no way. Nah, yeah. it was a bummer. You know the. They're closer to being a bad team than they are to being a great team. And I think last year they were so good that the expectations are so high. People fail to realize they're they're still kind of growing as a team. But that being said, I was hoping for, you know, Mike Ditka, Dave Wanstad, like offensive wizardry at one point, because that's basically Either that or the Packers have a better defense than we do, which could be the case. I, I have no idea. They handled us pretty well. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the ensuing games. But uh, it was it was also interesting to hear Mitch getting booed like that by the Bears fans towards the end of the third quarter, the beginning of the fourth quarter. There, there, there was more boos than there were cheers. And it was a terrible game offensively, but the Bears defense still kept Never. the Packers to 10 points. That's a very good thing. No, they're world class. And uh, but I, but I'll tell you, I mean, after last season ended and then we had this long, you know, sort of uh, off season, and everybody here at least is talking about how good this team is going to be and the anticipation leading up to what is the 100th NFL season and all these things were happening and then they just couldn't get a touchdown. Yeah, they laid an egg. They really did. And uh, it, it was embarrassing. And I don't. It, think the it was, and, and part of my issue too is, is that you know I, I, I have to hear the crap talking from the, my Detroit friends. Ugh. You know, they're all they all become Packer fans just on one night a year or two nights a year, I should say, when we play them. Yeah. And so it's just it, they were rubbing into the fact that you know the Bears aren't going to any Super Bowl, all that kind of talk. All fair because we look, we looked. It looked like a preseason game, is what it looked like. Yeah, it really did. It, it, it and. You know, Nagy's been under criticism maybe for not playing his starters during the preseason. Right, right. And, and you know, if they stay healthy throughout the year and they do well, then, you know, these, these questions or these criticisms will go away. But until then, we have a long week yeah. until, uh, until the next game. All right, so let's get into why we are here and let's talk about baseball. And let's begin with an article on fan graphs by, uh, by uh, Craig Edwards where he breaks down Justin Verlander's third career no-hitter. And, and you read the article, I assume, yes? Yeah, well, the, I just wanted to kind of put bring to the forefront um, 
the issue of Verlander, obviously he, he's been in the news in the last few weeks for not not the same reasons, but last Sunday he pitched a no-hitter. It was an extraordinary no-hitter. It really uh, was. Fangraphs fan breaks it down <laughs> as one of the one of the two or three best no-hitters of the last 30 or 40 years. And the reason is, is because of the amount of strikeouts, but also the lack of hard-hit balls. There was only two hard-hit balls the entire game. One, so, and both of them were pretty much right at a fielder. There, weren't, there wasn't even really one tough chance the whole game. You know? the, the, the author makes the case that all no-hitters ha- have great defensive plays to thank for their no-hitters. This is not one of them. There was no defensive plays to be made. Uh, Verlander was just like the last time he threw a no-hitter in Toronto. It, there's something about that place that just either calms him or whatever. I don't know. Maybe it's because there's no Detroit sports writers hanging around. Um, but uh, but the but the fact is is that you know there's there's a couple more articles that that we included that kind of question whether Verlander is a Hall of Famer. Yeah. And I and I think that. Um, the problem with win above replacement really impacts pitchers more than it does hitters. And so it's almost like they need to come up with a new win above replacement stat for pitchers because the, the math isn't making sense. And I kind of read read an article about it today earlier, and I also read this article about where it says Verlander's stats don't really add up to a Hall of Fame career. Au contraire. He's a World Series champion, three, three uh, you know, He's got 3,000 strikeouts. That alone is that, a Hall of Famer. There's, there's no, there's yeah. no, there's no pitcher with 3,000 strikeouts that's not in the Hall. No. No, you're right. And but he had like he experienced a, kind of a bit of a decline between the time that he was in the World Series with Detroit and when he was in the World Series with the Astros. Yeah. You know, he didn't. But I will say that when you watch him pitch, certainly now. He looks like a Hall of Famer. It, 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 his career kind of feels like it's Hall of Fame worthy. Um, there's no question among most people that he's the, the best pitcher, in, at least in the American League. You know, I, I think that, but, but you're right. I mean, when you look at wins above replacement, and, and this does affect pitching more, more directly. And bullpenning, you know, and yeah. the use of bullpens does have an impact on all this. Now, my thinking, too, is, though, that this may trend in the other direction. Bullpenning, I think, is running, it's it sort of run its course to a certain degree. You know, um, that these guys are, are becoming less and less reliant, or are going to become less and less reliant on bullpens, because what we're seeing is, for the first time, you know, the collective earn-run average for starting pitchers is actually better than that for relievers. And that, that hasn't happened since, like, 1973. It's yes. very, very rare. Well, but furthermore, this is the third worst uh, season for relievers since 1940, and it's the first since 1973. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it it could just be a blip. Who knows? Um, I suspect not, because and the reason is is because quality flamethrowers at the back of uh, of, of rotations you see, they just don't grow on trees. No. That's, you know, that's the, that's the problem. So, yeah. So uh, you're saying that the number four and five pitcher just isn't, they're not that good. And that's really weighing down these pitchers. Well, that and the fact that, that I don't think the eighth and ninth and 10th pitchers are that good. And that's, what's really what I, I think the bullpens are mediocre. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, the stats bear that out. Um, and old, um, 
stalwarts um, like Wade Davis are struggling mightily um, this year. And uh, so. Well, so I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, relievers all over the place. I mean, the Cubs, you know, are, are certainly an example of that. You know, how bad the bullpens have been all over the majors. So this isn't just a problem isolated to one team. One team. But, um, you know, but that's uh, that's kind of how it's been going. But I think when it all comes down to it, he will be a Hall of Famer. He's still, you know, it's not like he's running out of gas. You know, he's pitching better than he's pitched at any point in his career, Verlander. No, he's got a great ERA. He's got 100 more wins than losses. He's a Hall of Famer now. It, yeah. Is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? I don't know, but he's a Hall of Famer. I yeah. don't think there's any question. If you break down his stats, the only thing that weighs him down is that his his win above replacement is like a couple below the Hall of Fame average. And yeah. I and I just say you got Justin's been dominating for a long time, and he's a big game pitcher. Well, and speaking of Verlander, um, he and his teammate Garrett Cole yeah. are dominating. Uh, they're dominating the majors in a way that two pitchers from the same team rarely have. You know, they, they lead the league. They're one and two, I think, in wins. Yep. And they're one and two in strikeouts. And they're one and two in earned run average. And I also think in uh, walks and hits versus inning pitch, innings pitched. So this is, you don't see this very often, do you? you know, it's and been, usually it's National League pitchers. Yeah. yeah. That, that's it's, the thing that's interesting is that in the American League with the DH, seriously, you lead all the majors, that's... That's quite impressive. That is impressive. And and both those guys, well, and Cole probably won't be back with uh, the Astros next year. It looks like he's going to be a free agent, and he looks like he may try to re-sign. I'm going to predict that he re-signs or that he signs with the uh, Angels. But for the moment, you know, the Astros look like world beaters. They really do. Correct. Um, they may have some problems, I think, on offense. They're not as consistent as they have been, but... You have to face a rotation, one, two, three, of Verlander, uh, Cole, and then Granke. I mean, it's just how, how are you going to defeat a team like that in the playoffs? Well, that's just it. They're really built for the short season. And, um, you know, that's, that's really evident uh, this year. The thing is, they're not that far removed from their own – the last time they won the World Series, I think they're going to win it again. I just think they're just too – and for that exact reason, that in that yeah. short season, they're so, those so strong. Guys make it, yeah, it, it makes it very difficult to get. I mean, and and I, I don't want to kind of get ahead of ourselves and talk about the wild stats, but it is worth mentioning that the the pitchers on the Astros have struck out 1,410 hitters. Um, and that is that is a record. Um, and their hitters have only struck out 1,000 times. That's the least amount. So that is one dangerous ball club. It really is. I mean, a team that leads the league in strikeouts and its and its offensive players lead the league in, in striking out the fewest, which is That's right. bananas. All right. So um, Wilson Ramos and uh, Michael Lorenzen have drawn the attention of the Athletics' Jason Stark. And uh, let's talk about Ramos first. He's the catcher for the New York Mets. And he had right. the distinction of being the... Uh, the, the dubious one, distinction. The dubious distinction of going the longest in his career in what is it, plate appearances or games without having stole a base, stolen a base. Well, he finally stole a base the other night with uh, Todd Frazier at the plate. And, and it was hilarious because it's his first stolen base of his long career, and uh, no one really noticed it, you know? It was really funny. That and the fact that 
the most hilarious part was he wanted the base. He asked the clubby to, to, to get him the base, and the clubby said, can't do it. Uh, this is Acuna's 30th stolen base. He's That's got right, the base. Give it to Acuna because he just joined the 30-30 club. So right. both players wanted the base. I think Ramos should have it. You know, I, I do too, but but if I was Acuna, there's no way I'm giving it up. So no, that's right. That's right. I mean, I think the Ramos should have it, but but you're right. If I'm Acuna, I want that base too, and I'm not going to, you know, come on. Right. That right. is so funny. God, I mean, uh, you know, but then Michael Lorenzen has done something that hasn't been done since Babe Ruth played. Yeah, I, well, a couple of things on that one first. So let's talk about what Lorenzen did. Is he, yeah. he actually... He he pitched and got the win. Right. He homered. Yeah, and he homered. <laughs> and he finished the game in le- in center field. Yeah. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. And I love Lorenz, and I love that he can do these things. And, and and the thing is, the next day he started in left field. Did you know that? I, I yeah, I did know that actually, but I'd forgotten it. And, yeah. and the only other time that that's happened. Is when Babe Ruth did it. Yeah, yeah. It's just bananas. So the ultimate two-way player. No, it, it, it really is. And, and you know, but, uh, but that's the way baseball is sort of becoming now. And uh, we're seeing, you know, and I want to mention that, uh, and, and this is also in the face of what's been happening in Houston. Is it healthy for baseball that so many records are being broken within an individual season? I mean, there's so many numerical anomalies you know, that have to do basically with either home runs or strikeouts, you know, and is this a good thing? You know, you know, my thoughts, I I don't think it is a good thing. I think that we're going through a kind of a rough spot in baseball right now. You know, you you know, you're having trouble when you yearn for the steroid era. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) and, and that, that's the problem that you run into when it's almost robotic. It's almost like a Stepford wives thing. This, this arc, this, this, um, launch angle business and and everything it's all it's a home run or a strikeout it's like baseball is becoming home run derby it really is it is becoming home run derby and and i don't know i think some of the fun has been killed to a certain degree and uh, i think that they're gonna have to find a way to create or generate more contact so that fielders are handling the ball more because this is the kind of baseball i think people want to see I don't know. Uh, I, I think when you go to a game and you see it live, you know, strikeouts and home runs are nice and they can be exciting. But what's also exciting is when infielders churn double plays and when outfielders throw runners out on the base paths. You know, that that is exciting stuff, too. And I think that if we are losing that, and it looks like we are to a certain extent, that we're getting that home run derby type of, of game. It's not good. Right. And so uh, baseball is kind of um, uh, create this year. Anyways, there's been some really bizarre statistics that are kind of in the wake of um, this hit or miss, you know, this all or nothing baseball era that we live in right now. And one of them uh, for the Astros is they've yet to um, give out a uh, intentional uh, pass. That's crazy. Not a single intentional walk all year long. Right. And I'm wondering if it's going to happen, if, if uh, their manager may just do it for the hell of it. You know, maybe they'll face Mike Trout in the last month and uh, they'll walk him with first base open. Maybe it'll happen. 
maybe it'll happen in the playoffs for them. Maybe they'll finally issue one. But uh, that is absolutely astonishing. It's, it's an it, even more astounding is that it's American League. You think with the DH there would be that issue, but uh, there's five other teams: the Rangers, Orioles, Yankees, Twins, and Angels all have less than 10 intentional walks. Yeah. And so it's just interesting that 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 that's occurred. Uh, a couple of other weird stats. Um, one is the OPS of Mike Trout at 182. I mean, basically only Cobb, Ruth, Hornsby, Mantle, Mike Schmidt, and Barry Bonds ever had these numbers. Ever. How do they? How do they not win with this guy? How do they not win? Because they they don't have a great supporting cast. No. And 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 if I was Mike Trout, I wouldn't have signed the. See, he's basically got a lifetime contract with them now. He does. And I don't know. I don't know. I. And and we talked about the saves. One one thing about the saves is that. It's a 63% save percentage. That's the third uh, lowest all time. 1951 and 74, not 73. 74 was 61.5. Um, and uh, so 63%, that's just, it feels that way too, I have to say. It does, it does. And and yeah, that that's, it does feel that way. It's, it's, it feels that way when you watch the Chicago Cubs, certainly. And, uh, you know, but but they're not the only team that's having this issue. And again, it goes back to the problem with uh, bullpens in general uh, being outperformed by starting pitching for the first time since 1973. I, I just don't know how this can continue. Um, but is it hitters getting better uh, facing these late inning uh, flamethrowers? I don't know. You know, or is it quality versus uh, overuse? I don't know. So the number eight slot this year in baseball has produced 499 home runs. And that is that a record? That, that's that, the, yes, of course. Yeah, it, it's oh. absolutely a record. And they would be in line at the end of the year to do what cleanup hitters did in 1971. So something is awry in the game of baseball, Leo. And I think the stats obviously bear that out. You know, it's funny you mentioned this one, too, because uh, I read a guy named Thomas Harding, who I've gotten to know through the Internet, and he covers the uh, Colorado Rockies for, uh, for Major League Baseball for MLB.com, and, you know, he, he wrote an article saying that the Colorado Rockies have the best number eight hitter in all of baseball, and I likened that to having perhaps, you know, the greatest, the greatest, uh, the greatest uh, figure skater, you know, in, uh, in, in Phoenix, Arizona. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right, right, and, and um, the, the, the facts remain is that there's some, there's just some for anybody that says there's nothing going on, they're blind to the fact that these stats kind of bear out um, some goofy things in the all-or-nothing era we live in. So, uh, what uh, what happened to uh, what happened to Jim Palmer this week, Leo? Well, Jim Palmer, the Hall of Fame right-handed pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles, who's been working in the uh, in the broadcast booth now for the last maybe 30 years, I think. You know, he. Uh, he, he basically has retired, not retired maybe from broadcasting totally, but he is definitely shutting it down for this year. And he has a spinal infection. Uh, it's sort of an illness called, called myelitis. 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 Yeah. And basically this is something that comes from shingles. And if you haven't yeah. gotten, by the way, the shingles vaccine, I would highly recommend it. I, but, can't, get, I can't get shingles because I got the proper vaccines when I was a kid. Okay, okay. I, I, I went and just recently got it because my wife got shingles and then my parents got it. And it's 
really, really painful. It's but very this, painful. This is a this is a what do you call a, an infection that derives from having shingles, yeah. and uh, basically he won't be able to work in the broadcast booth for the remainder of this season, and it's going to be up in the air whether he makes it back at all in terms of how well this uh, infection is dealt with. And this well, is, it's high, this is a highly curable disease. However. If you don't tend to it, it can kill you. The infection yes. can kill you. They're, they're tending to it. He should be fine. But you're, you're right. I believe maybe his broadcasting days may be numbered because side effects of this disease include infect your speech. Um, yes. it, it, you know, some, some paralysis could occur. So hopefully for the best for one of the great pitchers of all time, right? Absolutely. And then as we move into another uh, somber bit of news, Former outfielder for the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, Chris Duncan, passed away from uh, from brain cancer at the age of 38. And, and this is the son of uh, former major league pitching coach Dave Duncan and former major league pitcher. And uh, just to lose his son at such a young age and really for anybody to pass at 38 years old. I mean, right. that is a real tragedy, you know. And right, and Chris, Chris's mom died of it too, so it's in their genes, and their grandmother had it. Um, that type of brain cancer is the most virulent, and you cannot get out of it. You, you, I think you got five years at the most, and most people only have a couple of years. And he, so he, being a professional athlete, he lived as long as you can live with with that with type that, of brain yeah, cancer. That's so, sad. I, as a Tiger fan, I remember him in the 2006 World Series. He he played it. He was a little. Um, almost like a Ben Zobris type player for the Cardinals. He didn't have a very long career, and, no. and, and, no, but, uh, but certainly, uh, you know, his, his teammates are going to miss him. Guys like Albert Pujols were putting things out on Twitter about how much they're going to miss him and how much, uh, how, you know, so it was what a great teammate he was. So this is sad. And whenever a young man passes, it's uh, especially tragic. Right. Uh, let's move on to something a little more cheerful. Um, Four players, four online players are closing in on what may be a $5.6 million payday. And this is through the MGM Grands Contest, Beat the Streak. And right. the funny thing about this, what you do is you pick one player in all of the major leagues who you think is going to get a hit. Right. And if you can do that 56 games in a row, you win $5.6 million, which is right. you either equal or, or surpass the Joe DiMaggio streak. And this is a way that, you know, general fans can kind of get into doing something exciting. Did you ever play this, beat the streak? No, 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 I never did. I, um, this, this is a relatively new gambling game um, that I think baseball's kind of picked up from the, the success the NFL's had with fantasy football and things like that. So, no, I've never played this game. I saw the four, I read the article and, uh, you know, good luck, but... There's a reason why they're paying 5.6 million. It's a very difficult thing to do. It is a very difficult thing to do. And these guys, you know, they have online names like I don't know, Patchwork Quilt yeah. or something like that. And so <laughs> it's exciting, I guess, for them. That's and Patchwork I Quilt 086. So <laughs> that eludes that there may be 85 other Patchwork Quilts out there. That's right. That's the weird part. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, but you know, I wish them all the luck in the world. I always like to see a casino make a big payout so uh do you have Me to pay, do you have to pay I, I i'm sure you have to pay to play it i've never played it yeah, so. i don't know i i you know i don't know I, I i try to stay away from the gambling these days so yeah you, you know as much as me 
All right. All right. Well, all right. So now uh, this happened recently uh, in Miami. Uh, the Miami Marlins brought up their uh, feel-good story of the week, Leo. It is. It is. The feel-good story of the week. And with all the, the, the death and disease that we've had to report on, this is and something injuries. that's going to cheer us all up. And, and, and Brian Moran, he, he makes his major league debut as a relief pitcher for the Miami Marlins against the Pittsburgh Pirates. And one of the players he faces and strikes out is his older brother, uh, Colin Moran, who plays for the Pirates. Now, Tom, you, you come from a big family. You, have, yeah. you were the oldest or are you the youngest? I'm or, the oldest of eight kids. You're the oldest of eight kids, but... You certainly played a lot of sports and games yeah. with brothers. Right. What, I mean, what, how, how must that may have made him feel? I mean, you can sort of well, identify. There was a lot of stuff going on, making your major league debut. You know, first of all, his, uh, I, it's my understanding both of them came to the majors late. Yes. Um, They're not and, young men. No. So it's, got, it's really a great story, but it, from a personal note, um, Early on, as they were very young, I had a huge advantage over them. But as they grew up, they turned the tables on me because I had a uh, one brother was really good at baseball and the other one was above average. And if they were teamed together against me and my other brother, we were in big trouble. They wow. could pitch and hit better than me. <laughs> well, I mean, but uh, that must have been fun. I only had a sister, so I didn't get a chance to, to really yeah. compete against any brothers. And I. And I missed out. I, I would have liked that. That would have been fun. But anyway, so, uh, all right. So now this was also kind of a feel-good story. And the Dodgers um, took a moment and uh, said their goodbyes to Giants manager Bruce Bochy in, in a little pregame ceremony. And, in fact, um, what was really interesting, they brought Vin Scully out and yeah. they invited Bochy out. And they gave. Uh, they found out that Bochy, when he was a kid, was a huge fan of Sandy Koufax. So they got a Sandy Koufax jersey. Koufax signed it. They framed it. They gave it to him. And, and Bochy was really touched, I think, by the uh, by the effort. I right. thought this was very nice because this rivalry between these two clubs is very, very real. You know, and Bochy even said that had it been Tommy Lasorda, had, had Tommy Lasorda given him the award or given him the present, he said he would not be getting that present. Right, right, right. I read that, too. And. The, you're right. It is another feel-good story because Bochy is a, is to me is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yes, yes. And, you know, I think he's 11th all-time in wins, and the 10 men in front of him are in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Three World Championships. Some of those 10 don't have three World Championships. He's a bona fide first ballot. One of one of baseball's greatest managers. No, he really is. And 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 it was nice that they brought Dave Roberts out too to give him the award or to give him the, the framed. Uh, Jersey, because right. Roberts had played for Bochy, I think, in San right. Diego. Yeah, so, 2005 and six. So I thought that that was a nice gesture, you know. And uh, but they wanted Bochy to take the microphone and say a few words, but right. he, he wouldn't do it. I, that part I agreed with him because that you're just you're in the the wrong uh, the wrong biker bar, buddy. That's not the right place to do that. <laughs> no, you're right. And 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 this rivalry between the Giants and the Dodgers is as serious a rivalry as there is in baseball. I mean, it's right up there with Cubs, Cardinals, or, or, or Yankees, Red Sox, you know. Their fans have killed each other. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Their fans have killed one another. I mean, so, in that yeah. parking lot at Dodger Stadium. And you in know. San Francisco, it's, it happened. The re, in fact, there's no other rivalry that has that kind of thing. Yeah. So. yeah, you're right. 
But right. uh, congratulations to Bruce. A lot of people think he's not going to stay retired because he's only 64 years old. It's yeah. a year younger than Madden. So we shall see. But either way, he's a he's a, a, a great manager and one of baseball's greatest managers. Well, all right. So that brings us to let's pivot and that let's go to the Chicago Cubs. Yay. And, you know, our favorite team. And, and this team, you know, it, it's so frustrating following them this year. They do well for two games, and then it just kind of all falls apart. And and they're being riddled with injuries. And as, as soon as some guys come back off the IL, you know, they have to send more guys to the IL. And, and it's frustrating. And I don't see – I'm really, really worried that this team – I don't think the division is even possible. And I think that making no. the playoffs is probably not going to happen. And, you know, you, you probably said it best a couple of weeks ago when you said, you know, lower your expectations down to nothing yeah. and you'll be happy. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you're not going to be happy. Um, well, did, you, did you watch last night's game? I did until it, until I felt as though they were going to lose, which they did. I watched through the to the top of the ninth and I went to bed going, they're going to lose. And they did. Well, I mean, it was a close game. They lose in extra innings. You know, they lose what, three to two. I mean, it's yeah. a terrible loss, a devastating loss, but, you know, they're in it, again, right to the end. You know, it, it's a lack of hitting that that uh, kind of screws them in the end. They were able to hit anybody, you know, but um, this team just doesn't seem to have the magic uh, or, or, I don't know, the ability maybe to put together the long winning streak needed that would carry them into the playoffs, you know. So, so if, if you go back to 2015 – when they really started to assert themselves as one of the National League's better teams, up to this point, they're definitely a team in decline. They're not they're not arcing upward like they were in 2015 and 16, and like for a section of 2017, it just seems as though their best days are behind them, and I and it, it, they're fa- they're fading right now. This is a, a, a classic fade. They may you know they're they're in the driver's seat for the playoffs. Uh, position, but I'm with you. I don't think if they make the playoffs, they're not they're not long for the world. And anything after that will be pleasantly surprised. Well, you know what's hilarious is that the uh, Diamondbacks have now found you know they've won like ten of eleven, and yeah. they're right there for that second wild card uh, slot. You know they got a shutout from their rookie left-handed pitcher last night. I mean they're really good, and they're charging and they're surging. And I think they may surge right past the Cubs. And that's a reality that Cubs fans are going to probably have to accept. You know, the other thing, too, is that the, there's one thing in the Cubs' favor, and that's there's only 20 games left. And so they basically have to win 12 or 14 of those games, and they'll make the playoffs. Will they win the division? I don't see a way in hell. I, I, I see. I, I, I have major doubts that they can even win 12 or 14. I, I well, really, maybe. Maybe. You know, I, I, I just don't, you know... I, and, it, and it's hard to really point the finger at any one or any, you know, any part of their team to, to say this is why they're losing. It's really just a lot of little things. It's death by paper cuts, you know, by a thousand paper cuts. It really is. And they're just they still deep. struggle in two different departments, and it's, it's a constant. And that is timely hitting sometimes. Sometimes they just get into these one-to-nothing games. I don't, I don't get it based on the power that they have. And then the second thing is, the, is their lack of bullpen and how it's used. Like for example, yesterday, we didn't need to see Strope. 
You, you don't need to have one more than – and he finally took him out after the second hitter, but you shouldn't have him in there after the first hitter if he can't get them. If he can't – if he puts that first man on base, I'd take him out 100% of the time. Every I don't know what else time. he can do, though. I mean – Don't I'm, play him. Just like with – this the same argument I had about Edwards. Don't play him. Well, if you're and not so, going to play him, you have to replace him on the roster. Then do it. Get going towards it. Or, so mid, midweek last week, Contreras and Zobris returned to the Cubs, and it was a kind of a, a little shot of adrenaline. Both, first of all, yeah. over the last couple of weeks, we basically said Zobris' career was over. He's on fire right now. He's on Go fire. against whatever we say. That's the golden rule. Yeah, again, we, we're like, yeah, he won't do anything. And then he's getting bunch singles. He's drawing right. blocks. You know, he's making, he's turning double plays. So I, that was really a shot in the arm. And then Contreras also for two games, boy, he was a monster. He was. I, he was just hitting everything. He homered in his first at bat back. You know, he's doubled and driven in runs. He's been really clutch. And we, you know, just shows how much the club has really missed him. You know, but as yeah. soon as these guys come back, then who gets injured but the greatest shortstop in the history of baseball, Javi Baez. So now we yeah. have to without him as he's fractured a thumb and he's lost for the season, isn't he? Basically, apparently Baez is trying to say, I can come back, but the, the, the club is saying, you're not coming back. You're too valuable. Of, and they're right, by the way. You they don't want to have a, you know, a messed up hand for the rest of your career. He's, got, he's done. Whether, he, whether he's come to grips with it or not, his season is over. No, Sadly. and I like, I like that he wants to get back in there. I admire that, but I would rather have him you know, in five years than uh, right. these 20 games that remain. And, uh, you know, but uh, it's just that this is just sort of evident about the way this season's gone. They really haven't had their whole team. Somebody important or critical has been injured at, at, at just almost every point of the year, you know, and, and now Kimbrell's on the 10-day the IL, and it just, uh, all these things just sort of compound. They're, they've been very unlucky in this regard. You know, I think the Baez hit is a major hit. The Cubs lose their spark plug. He is, like you say, he's he's one of he's he may be the most exciting player in baseball and and one of the most dangerous ones on the base paths. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's so many things that he can do to help you win a game. He can right. win it with a great play on defense. He can win it on the base paths. He can hit for power. He can drive in a run with a you know a line drive double going the other way. There's so many ways that he can he can help you. I, I just did not here's, have him. Here's what I do if I'm Madden and Epstein: is I get that thing bandaged up, surgery, whatever they got to do, and then put him on the roster as a pinch runner. That's wow. what I would do. Wow, that's that 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 that's a creative way to get him in, and at least he's there, you know, being the teammate, you know, the great teammate that he needs to be. But uh, but I but I mentioned that you know. This is the first time I've really seen him out for any extended period of time. Right, you know, he's right. had a couple of days off in a row to rest or whatever. But he's had little wonky things that have happened, but nothing like this. Nothing like this, exactly. And like, if you've ever seen him during a game, like get hit by a pitch or, or I don't know, do something, some, some get hurt in some way, playing the game. What he'll do is he'll he'll lay there, you know, for a little bit. You know that he's hurt. The trainer comes out. Then he gets up. He limps around a little bit. Rubs a little dirt on it, and then he's then he's back in, you know. And and I, I just hope that uh, this is the last of the injuries that he will experience throughout his career because he's just I, too excited. You know, we we talked about his counterpart, 
uh, going down Fernando Tatis Jr. Both him and Baez play a, um, a dangerous, reckless game on the base pass with their swim moves and their they're putting their body into matrix-like contortions, and, and it, li- it lends itself to injuries. Usually they're wonky injuries. Yeah, this, this, this is freaky more than anything else, but it, but it also kind of underscores he plays with reckless abandon. And, 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 and if you ask him, is he going to change his game, he will tell you emphatically, no. He is who he is, and I don't want to change him. I don't want to coach that, that, that spirit out of him. It's too important. You know, uh, yes, he does make mistakes. Yes, he may get some minor injuries, but uh, there are too many great things that he does as a ball player that uh, you just have to let him be himself. You know. So, so then Kimbrel goes on the IL. <laughs> How about this? You know, I mean, this is the guy that the Cubs shell out a three-year. What is it? How much are they paying him? Forty-one million or something like that. But I think yeah, it's eleven million. We thought that it, he they, he was getting paid the Zobris money, but now Zobris is getting his paycheck back. Right. But I think it was eleven or twelve million hit this year, something like that. And 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 again, I mean, it just goes to we just haven't been able to rely on him at all. And I don't know if it's the fact that he didn't have a spring training and he only started pitching, you know, basically in the middle of the season. So I don't know if it's just him getting his arm into major league sort of readiness and it's just taking longer than it would be for somebody else. But this is a huge disappointment. This is a guy that they needed to be able to rely on. And and to not have him just makes it so much harder for them to win a game like 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 for example, like the one they lost last night. You know, Kimbrel you know, let's made face, a difference. Let's face some facts about Kimbrell. He's not the pitcher he once was. Um, I mean, who could be? He's one, one of the all-time great relievers, but he's about 75% uh, versus, um, you know, what, where he is today. And, you know, the announcers are correct when they say it's very unusual that you see a one-two-three inning out of Kimbrell anymore. That being said, he still was above average, and he was the best that we had, without a doubt. So <laughs> I, I'm, his, his numbers overall look bad because he was put in in some – non-save situations and he gave up some hits and some home runs but you know he has what is it it's like 10 of 12 saves he, yes, he yes i mean he's he's been effective for the most part so i mean to not have him it's just it's so disappointing it really right is. but you know there's some good news some guys are hot like kyle schwarber's on fire yeah, right now he really is on fire he now has 34 home runs and that's the most by a cubs left-handed hitter since Billy Williams in 1973. I would have never guessed that. I I would have never guessed that. Wow. Isn't that crazy? And he may surpass Williams, you know, and then, but then, but then Williams has some 40 and 45 home run seasons that happened previous to 73. He was also twice the defender that Kyle Schwarber is. Right, right. And he also hit for a much higher average. Correct. He's a Hall of Famer, and I don't think Schwarber is. But. No, no, not 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 right now, sir. Not right now, he's not. And he's not trending in that direction. But, but at the same time, this is maybe as good as we've ever seen Kyle Schwarber in his career as a cop. You know, and, and this is maybe is as good as it's going to get with a Kyle Schwarber, which you know I've always advocated that he belongs in the American League where he can be a full time DH. But I'm glad he's. And the reason why I say that is because I look at Kansas City and they got this guy named Jorge Soler. Yeah, how about that? You, you ever heard about this guy? <laughs> he set a record for the Royals 
a franchise record for home runs for the Royals, which was but, amazing. Well, but he was a Cub, yes. and and he he was exactly what we said he was, which is he's basically even though he's playing the outfield. But the American League is where guys like him and, and maybe Schwarber would hit 40 home runs in the American League because he would have a lot more opportunities. But his batting average is still a question mark for me. He, he just really can't. Did. I mean, he's gotten it up to what, 231? I mean, yeah, 229. Yeah, exactly. You know, he has a good on base percentage, but. Uh, he but, walks a lot. That's the best thing. For being a big man, he does draw walks. I don't know. I, 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 I mean, if he were, if he could just get his batting average to 250, he yeah. could win the MVP because he'd hit, he would hit 50 home runs too. You know, it just, it, it, it he would look like a much better player if he could just. Yeah, hit. he's still a defensive clog, but, but anyways, yeah, I'm a big fan. I love Kyle. I think he's, he, he brings us, you know, he, like I say, he's the best linebacker in the major leagues. Yeah, I mean, did you see the home run he hit Friday? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought that was season defining until they played, or that was Thursday until they played Friday and Saturday. <laughs> no, you're right. You, you you think you think that that the win, whenever they get a win, that this yeah. is going to finally be the thing that turns them around. And then of course, you especially know. when it's a big daddy grand slam against a rival like that. I I, I don't know. It was a blast. Man. That was a real swore bomb. Yeah. yeah, that was off your boy Pomerantz. Yeah, right, right. Who I thought who's who's been pitching really well, and they got him, you know, just because he's been so good against the Cubs. But uh, but anyway. So how many games are the Cubs behind now? What, what, I think how much work do they have to do? If I'm if I remember correctly, they were lucky that they didn't fall off another game on Friday night when the Cardinals had a big lead and they lost their bullpen, gave it up to the Pirates. But that didn't happen yesterday. No. You know. They, but on Friday they were they were leading four one and the Pirates came back and won seven to four, and the Cubs did not fall off the pace there. But yesterday losing an extra innings, the Cardinals yeah. dominated the Pirates. It's three and a half, and and even though the Cubs have seven games remaining with the Cardinals, yep. it, it it looks like it's pretty much academic at this point, you know. Well, yeah, because if the Cardinals can just split, they they win. They Anything win. better than a split, a slightly better than split. All favors the Cardinals. The Cubs will have to play really well, and the Cardinals have to play poorly, and that's unlikely at this point. Yeah, what is it? Fifteen percent of the season remains. It, it just doesn't. Make and, and Flaherty's going for the the Redbirds today, and he is. I told you, watch out for Jack Flaherty. He's starting to assert himself as one of the best young pitchers in all of baseball. Well, he got off to a really bad start this season, yep. but but you're right. I mean, of late, certainly in the second half. He has just dominated everybody he's faced. And, you know, unless the Cubs win, I mean, if the Cubs lose today and the Cardinals win, I mean, five and a half or four and a half, it, it's just, it, it, it's all over but the crying. I'm not saying it, it, it can't happen, but it's extremely unlikely that the Cubs win this game. If, if the season was to end today, we would have to go to Washington to, to play, to win in. And we could win the game. Anything can happen in, in any given game. I just don't like our chances. That's no, all. I don't like our chances against Scherzer or right. Strasburg, depending Either on one of them. Dave Martinez decides to start. It's just you know, Dave not, Martinez is going to beat Joe Madden. Best Joe Madden. Unbelievable. It's hard to keep your head around that. It is. But, I mean, it has – I mean, again, again, these are things that we're predicting. So anything that we predict, you might as well bet against take, it. Exactly. Take the opposite. What, what's been going on with the Cubs' bullpen? Is, well, they added the guy – and this is just sort of more fun – sort of wordplay 
you know, we they have this reliever by the name of Rowan Wick, W-I-C-K, and yep. they just added a reliever from the minors when they expanded the roster, and his name is Brad Week, and it's W-E-I-C-K. So yeah. we, both, we have a bullpen with Wick and Week. I don't know how Week really pronounces his name, but uh, that just sort of adds to the confusion of what's been an extremely bizarre season. you know. And also a very weak bullpen. <laughs> That's right. It's Wick and Week are pitching on a weak bullpen. Actually, Wick has been okay, but no, Wick has been okay. He's been, you know, and, and I mean, but this team, I don't know. Maybe it's the circumstances of this season. Maybe it's the the, the personnel decisions that Theo Epstein's made. Maybe it's the decisions that Madden has made with his lineup and his. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's the players themselves and their inability to play at, a, at the level that they're expected. I, there are just so many things that have happened that have gone sideways for this team. Mm-hmm. That's true. But anyway, it's still a lot of fun and they'll shuffle the deck. And, 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 you know, I don't, I, I this is a, uh, I, I, I bore using a cliche, but there's always next year. So, yeah. <laughs> right. All right. So that brings us to our classic movie of the week discussion. Yeah. And this week we're going to talk about um, what I would consider to be the greatest studio film ever made. And that's Casablanca. Uh, and this is a movie that everyone has seen. The movie has been remade uh, in the uh, Robert Redford movie with Lena Olin, uh, Havana. Yeah. Um, terrible movie. Yeah, but, uh, but, but Casablanca is imitated. It is referenced. It is really, I think, it is in the discussion for maybe the greatest movie of all time. Yeah, for me personally, it's... Um it's everything that you just said. It's it's from on my list of greatest films. It's my third favorite film. Only Seven Samurai and Citizen Kane were better film experiences for me. But you can make a case that Casablanca is the greatest movie ever made. While Gone with the Wind always gets kind of a lot of the respect, uh, Casablanca is from that same era, I should say. Casablanca is a film that. Um, it, it won a handful of, of Academy Awards, including Best Picture, rightly so. Um, but you could make the case that it could have won everything it was nominated for. Bogart is never be- was never better. Yeah. The interesting thing was he wasn't the first guy that they – like George Raft turned down the role. Um, and then at the at 11th hour, once Raft realized that it was going to become a, a little bit of a bigger production and the actors were involved, he rescinded and said, no, I'll take the job. And basically Hal Wallace, the producer, said, no, this is well, – he basically said, this is Bogart and Bogart's playing this part, this part and uh, the rest is movie history. Um, it really is, though, the quintessential Humphrey Bogart role, you know, the bitter, angry sort of hero, cynical about life. Yeah about the world right you know what i mean finally coming to terms with it and doing the right thing you know and then you also look at the cast that has been assembled i mean those were the heavy hitters in hollywood at that time you know all coming together to make this sort of anti-nazi propaganda piece basically and and the warner brothers specifically jack warner was one of the very first hollywood guys in the late 30s that spoke out against nazism and um, and there was there was only a couple of other uh, anti-Nazi films on the books before Casablanca, and Casablanca certainly um, uh, took it to another level. The ironic thing is that most of the um, 
uh, Germans in the film were actually played by Jews. Yeah, right. Um, right. And, right. And, right. That's right. And so there's all kinds of weird things, like when they're uh, singing the French uh, national anthem and you see people tears in their eyes, that was real because those uh, actors were actually displaced by the Nazis. So there's just so many things that go on in, in this film. It's maybe America's greatest love story, if you think about it. Even though the actors barely spoke to each other while they were filming it. Um, and, 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 you know, it's interesting, too, because the, the, like uh, Ingrid Bergman really had no idea who she was going to end up with while she's filming the movie because they were making so many changes to the script. She doesn't know if she's going to be with Paul Heinrich or if she's going to be with Humphrey Bogart. You know, so there's this sort of confused aspect to her acting where, yeah. you know, I mean, she loves Riddick. Does she love, uh, you know, what's his name? Uh, Paul Heinrich? Paul Heinrich. Yeah. Who, who disliked Bogart and Bacall in real life. They, he disliked them immensely. So it was an interesting dynamic uh, going on there. But Bacall uh, had not, or not Bacall, but uh, Bergman had never worked with Bogart. And she, she looped over and over again Maltese Falcon. She watched it like 25 times to get the flavor of Humphrey Bogart. So she felt like she kind of knew him by the time the filming started, which um, well, the I other mean, thing too is, is that there's a Cubs connection, yes. our own Theo Epstein's grandfather and his great uncle yeah. are the writers of Casablanca, Philip Epstein. They're twins. They're, they're twin brothers. His, his grandfather and his granduncle are twin brothers yeah. and they helped, they were the screenwriters on the play. And Theo Epstein himself is also a twin. He has a twin brother. Well, right. he's a teacher. But uh, but you're right. I think that that that's also a delicious little connection that we can sort of make, you know. But uh, I can't. I'll, I'll always stop and watch Casablanca. And 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 there's so many, you know. Just the 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 writing itself is really one of the great things about the movie. There are just so many classic lines, you know. And these actors are just they they wrote these lines, and they're perfect for the men and women who say them. It's just when this film was first pitched in the late 30s, a lot of the executives is like, what is with this drivel? Like they really poo pooed it. And, and it took a while for the movie to get made. And, you know, that's uh, <laughs> the rest is history, as they say. Really is. Um, really is. But this movie, you're right. I mean, it was a minor production, you know, but then they started bringing in some big actors and this was being filmed. This wasn't on location. This wasn't like a big junket to some right. exotic place. This was done on the back lot in Hollywood, you know, and uh, I mean, it's, it was just a work, you know, just all in a day's work for the cast and the crew. You know, I don't think any of them thought it would be anything big, no, no. But, uh, but it really made a lot of their careers. You know, this is the defining role for Bogart. It's the defining role for Sidney Greenstreet, um, you know. Sure. And Peter, don't forget Peter Laurie, the great exactly. the creepy Peter Laurie. One of the creepiest guys. The only guy that's even close to him today is maybe Joe Pesci. But yeah. we don't we don't have creeps like him. And another creepy guy was Tim Car Timothy Car Carey, another great uh, uh, supporting actor in the 50s and the 60s. But this film will live on for the ages, and I'm you know I'm glad we kind of uh, uh, chose it because it needs to be picked up. The question I have for you is: Do you remember the first time? when you were like, holy cow, this is a great movie. That's really hard to say because it's not, that's just the way, I mean, the way we experience Casablanca 
is, you know, we catch it. Maybe maybe we'll watch it on TV, maybe when we're in high school or middle school. But then we see it again and again and again, and it just sort of grows on you. And you see, you know, the way that the grace with which Bogart, you know, delivers his lines and looks at people and, you know, just a, just a tiny little tick in his face just tells you everything about the way he's feeling, you know, and, and just little things like the way the light catches Ingrid Bergman's tears. You know, it, it's just all so well done, so, so well crafted. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. It, and, and the other thing, too, is, is that the, the film uh, over time has obviously grown um, in, in folklore, certainly in Hollywood folklore. But on the AFI's top 100 quotes from films, mm. it has six quotes in the top 100. No other film has three. So, I could probably name, you know, this looks like it's the beginning of a beautiful friendship. You know, Here's looking at you, kid. Play it again, you. Sam. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right. This is the start of a wonderful Round relationship. Up suspects. You exactly. Know. Exactly. That's the, uh, you know, it's just it, where Major Strasser finally gets it, you know. He pulls the gun, and then Bogart already has it on him, and pow, pow. But you see both guns go off. You're like, who's been shot? And then you see the Nazi, you know, cut up all that. It's just great. That guy made a career out of playing Nazis. He played Nazis in, like, a dozen films. Yeah, yes. And he and he was the most anti-Nazi guy. You're talking about Conrad Veidt? Yeah, uh, Conrad yeah. Oh, yeah, he was fantastic. He was the highest paid actor on the film, by the way. Uh, of he? all the actors, yeah, yeah, because he, he was only on, he, his shooting was for four weeks, yeah. and I think they paid him fifty-five grand or something. Some huge number back then was a lot of money. These um, Germans must get used to all climates, you know. <laughs> right. It's the arrogance that he always oh, great. He so, so I first became a, a, aware of this film not when I saw it as a child, but when I saw it again as an adult for the first time, I was like, this is extraordinary. As a child, I didn't really appreciate it. And so fast forward to 2014, the 70th anniversary, or uh, uh, 2012, I'm sorry, the 70th uh, uh, anniversary of the release of the film, Turner, for two nights only, showed it on uh, restored digital uh, 35 millimeter in a, um, uh, in a suburban movie theater, and I went and saw it. It was absolutely beautiful. Like, the, the, the film was pristine. Like, it was just coming out of the canister. So if you get a chance to see it on the big screen, it definitely... It, and, it, and, you know, most of us haven't had that chance. Most of us yeah. have seen it on Turner Classic Movies or watched it late at night. I mean... It'll be back. It'll be back because it's popular and it's great. You'll get a chance again to see it. I really believe that. But obviously one of the great films. All right. Well, that uh, brings us to the end of our discussion. Always a lively one. Uh, I really enjoyed that discussion on Casablanca. This movie thing that we're doing is, uh, I, I, it really excites me. So, so what's the new movie for next week, Mr. Next Montana? week we're going to explore one of the classic comedies. Um, and this is a more recent film. And it's one of my all-time favorites. The Freshman with Marlon Brando and Matthew Broderick. So we'll be talking about that one next week. I'm really looking forward to that. Me too, man. You have yourself a great week and save me an aisle seat. All right. You have a good one.